Welcome to the CIQS podcast. I'm Wendy Hobbs. Today we're talking with Dr. Taher Hassan, an instructor in the Civil Engineering Technology Program at the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology in Calgary. Dr. Hassan talked to us about using drones in order to improve efficiency as well as possibly lowering costs and increasing safety in site surveys. There's far more to this new technology than running to the local electronics dealership to buy one and then just flying it over a site. Taher talks about the importance of preparation before using a drone. So basically before you start your survey you have to do a, a sun prep. Uh, so basically you charge uh, your drones, uh, make sure that you have the SD card for storage and uh, make sure that you have uh, uh, a good day uh, in terms of lighting. And then, uh, you know, you go outside and then you start your drone, you have to do some sort of setup in the beginning, like uh, calibration and so on. And then uh, you, uh, you fly the, the drone and right now there are lots of software that it's the the operation itself it's autonomous so what you do is you simply uh, connect your Wi-Fi uh, get some base map mark the the area of interest uh, so you simply draw a rectangle or any polygon around your area and uh, you set the, the flying height uh, so as soon as you set the flying height and which is typically it's, it's, it depends on the resolution that you're looking at uh, the software will go ahead and will do uh, automated flight design for you. And then all you have to do is say, okay, hey, you hit a button and uh, you're ready to go. Uh, the drone will fly over the area, uh, finish all the flight lines with the predefined overlap, and will come back to you with the date. After proper setup, you can fly the drone over your area far more quickly than you could do on foot. I would say uh, for a subdivision, you will uh, be looking at uh, maybe 20 minutes flight. Again, it depends on, uh, on the flying height. So the higher you fly, uh, you cover your footage will be more and basically your fly less. If you want to get higher resolution, you have to fly lower and then you have to fly for longer periods of time. Uh, I would say if you're looking at uh, five centimeters, ground sampling distance, you will be uh, flying for about 20 minutes, which is, which is uh, again, uh, uh, remember that in, with the drone you have an, a battery, you have to come back before your battery dies. So uh, typical right now, the typical drone la like battery life will be within 30 minutes and it's advisable to come back, uh, you know, maybe at 20 minutes. I asked Taher what data can be collected by the drone. Basically, uh, all the drones right now, which is commercial grade, uh, they are equipped with uh, uh, a camera. In um, this camera, it collects uh, images. Uh, also, on board, you have uh, GPS, and we ha you have some orientation sensors. Uh, it's called uh, IMU, or uh, Inertial Measurement Unit, which can give you also the orientation of your sensor. So. Basically, what you collect is you collect the images and you collect the location and the orientation of the platform. Conventionally, this kind of survey, uh, it was carried out by total stations and uh, recently uh, maybe GPS, RTK. And uh, this is, uh, uh, it's relatively slower techniques. 
uh, you can get exactly the same accuracy with drones uh, with fa way, way faster. So I would say the ratio is 1 to 10. So you can, you can simply collect the same area data uh, 10 times faster with drones. Not to mention, not to mention the, uh, the safety issues uh, with uh, GBS uh, or total station where you need, uh, the user has to hand uh, held like a, a surveying rod with a receiver or a brisk and has to go on a slope or even some hazardous area. With drones, you always avoid all these issues. Beyond its use in construction, Taher also talked about other applications for this technology. Yeah, a typical application for drones right now for, you know, uh, it's a mining application. So mining application, you know, uh, we have lots of excavation and uh, really these areas becomes hazardous at some point and uh, you have, you know, uh, snow, you have rain. It's way more safer to use the drone. It's a remote, uh, it's a remoteless, uh, you know, technique. So being far from your object, you're really safe. Although it's an excellent tool, Taher does mention there are some limitations to the technology. Well, uh, I would say the, uh, the regulations uh, prevents you from flying uh, anywhere uh, above 90 meters from the ground. So you can be flying uh, from 20, 30, all the way to 90. Most of the drone software gives you the option to uh, limit the, uh, the operation above the ground. So you cannot fly very, very high because simply you're interfering with other flying objects. Despite the overall savings, some companies can find the initial outlay to be expensive. A typical project, uh, you know, if you want to do the same job uh, using aerial survey, uh, which is typically used for large scale uh, projects, uh, you would need to rent an aircraft and install those, uh, you know, expensive uh, cameras and install them, which takes a lot of time and also renting the aircraft is expensive. Now, with the advent of drones, you can cut the cost by the ratio of 10 as well. A typical project would cost with aerial survey uh, around 20 grand. It can cost you today with a drone 2,000 grand. So the, uh, the, right now there are maybe over 100 uh, companies uh, that are uh, competing uh, in this field. There are so many uh, commercial grade drones. You know, I can name some of them for now, like DJI, uh, e, uh, EB, Typhoon, those are commercial grades and the price, it can really vary a lot. For example, if you have for Phantom DJI, you can get something in the order of between 1500 to 2500 The latest version, I guess, it's uh, around uh, 2100 and you can add some accessories. This one is not equipped with RTK GPS, so you have probably have to establish some uh, ground control points. Some other uh, systems, uh, like uh, the one from FlySense uh, EB, EB drone. Uh, this one you're looking at uh, maybe total of 15 grand, including the software as well. You know, there is, uh, there is a hard, hardware part and there is software part because, uh, you know, as soon as you collect the data, you're supposed to process the data using a photogrammetric software. So you should be looking at both hardware and software as well. And when it comes to training, uh, 
the, the, the drones itself, flying the drone is relatively easy because the current drones they are equipped with uh, some intelligence. So they have some sensors like pressure sensor and radar system and vision system that uh, they are trying to minimize the, uh, or make the drones more safer and uh, more intelligent to fly. And again, it's a matter of sometimes push button and uh, the operator has to just watch for the fly doing the survey and come back. So it's really easy to fly. It comes uh, to only the regulations. So the, whoever is trying to fly, uh, he has to be aware of all the regulations and all the safety tips. Typical training for a person, it's about $2,500 for about one week, three days in an office and two days outside in the field. To go along with the expense, there are many rules and regulations that cover drone flight. So there is, you know, a world drone can be applied to any unmanned aerial vehicle. So basically right now there are some drones that can take one person from one place to another place. So it can carry one person. There is a Chinese, a Chinese company right now and I think they operate in, uh, somewhere in, uh, in uh, the Middle East in the uh, United Arab Emirates. And I think it will be in operation soon. So all these flying objects, they fall under the world the drones. There is a specific category from drones below or under 35 kilograms. And the regulations will completely differ from a drone that is under 35 kilograms and things above, above 35 kilograms. So if, if you are flying a drone that is under 35 kilograms and you're flying your drone for fun, not for commercial purpose, you have to stick to some uh, regulations which mainly focus about the safety of others uh, and uh, things around you. If you fly uh, the drone for commercial application, then you have to go for a, a lot of training to get some uh, ticket and, tickets and, and license to be able to draw the survey. Transport Canada has uh, uh, like a very intense uh, documents of all the regulations. It's uh, section 602.41. Uh, for uh, unmanned air vehicles, which again, you have to go through a, a, a specific training to fly the drone. But uh, for flying for fun, uh, there are some rules which just make sense. So I can mention some of those rules. For example, uh, when you fly a drone, you must have all the time uh, a line of sight. Although right now some basic drones like with $2,000, it can give you a range of three miles, which is a very long distance. And for sure at this, at this distance, you cannot see your drone. So when you fly a drone, you must always have a line of sight. You must fly your drone on daytime, not nighttime. When you fly your drone, you must have clear sky uh, and uh, always visibility. You must fly your drone away from you know, uh, surrounding people, like if you have a group of people, uh, you cannot fly your drone. Most importantly, you have to fly your drone away from any airport by a distance of minimum of nine kilometers. School zones, you cannot fly uh, your uh, drone uh, with the school zone because it's simply it affects others and could affect the safety of others. Good news is the, the drone software, it's, it has all the non-fly zones stored on it. And as soon as you try, you, uh, you fly your, your drone within those zones, the, your drone will tell you, okay, this is a no-fly zone and will give you, you a, a note uh, to stop the operation. Those rules and regulations apply to hobbyists as well as professionals. Well, if, if, if this rule is applicable and within the, the fly for fun, 
it will always be applicable for uh, fly for commercial purposes. You know, typically for these areas, it's an open bit and it's, uh, the surveyor has to pick one point maybe at the highest area so he can simply uh, watch and have a, a clear line of sight with the drone all the time. I just want to mention something that if you follow, uh, if you fly your drone carelessly, you could be subjected to $25,000 and or time in jail. Uh, so if you, uh, if you have to follow, even if you're applying for, uh, for fun, you have to follow the safety regulations. Taher's students have started researching other potential uses for this new technology. This year, I have a couple of, uh, of uh, capstone projects. Uh, my students are focusing on two different applications of drone. One of them is just about uh, using drone for earthworks calculations, which is again, uh, drones is not only giving you a faster option, it gives you a more dense surface. So even if you compare the, the data of the drone to a technique like GPS, so yeah, the drone could, be, could give you a less accurate, but it's a perfect representation of your surface because simply it gives you an enormous amount of data. So with the GPS, with the RTK, you can maybe uh, pick a point every five meter uh, sort of grid, but with the photogrammetry or for, with the drones, you get five centimeter ground resolution, which means you get a better representation. So even if your data from the drone is a little bit less accurate, but your surface by the end of the day for the volume calculations will be much better. He warns that there are some limitations to photogrammetry. On the surface that you're capturing. So if you have a surface that it's very smooth and it doesn't have lots of features, like brick lines, photogrammetry doesn't perform very well in this case. But if you're surveying uh, a surface that has lots of brake lines, the, survey, the photogrammetry will do the best job for you. Even with these limitations, Dr. Hassan sees the drone as a valuable tool for the construction industry. As I mentioned before, uh, using the drones for you know, everyday survey, this could, be, could save and cut cost a lot. Me, as a structural engineer as well, I used to go and do some structural inspections. And what I do, I go inside the warehouse after the structure is complete and then try to stick my head and, uh, you know, look for things like missing, uh, missing bolts, loose bolts and uh, things like that. And even, even for existing structures where, where you have some corrosion or you have some cracks, I think the drone can, can be best. I, you can fly your drone up there and uh, can give you a, a high resolution video from which you can simply uh, find all the problems. Uh, there are some applications in ag agriculture which you can fly your drone and then uh, the idea here is not really a quantitative information like for example area or volume. That application it's more about qualitative information. So when you fly your drone, get some pictures of the ground, you can simply tell some stuff about your vegetation like tracing and uh, in this, uh, like uh, infections and things like that. You can always identify those. There's one important uh, application, which is fire, uh, like forest fire. So with forest fire, if you install on your drone a camera, which is like infrared camera, those infrared cameras, they are very sensitive to the heat, and it can simply sense the hot spot on, you, on the ground. And uh, because you have an image, and this image, it has a GPS tag, it has location, so you can simply know where is the fire. 
and you can simply, it will help you to quickly uh, put it down. And One other use is for disaster monitoring, as it's less risky than sending a person in to an unstable site. I'm not really aware of post-disaster. Post-disaster application, typically, uh, you want to go for a larger scale. So uh, because the camera and the flight uh, regulations on the drone, you simply, your, your, your footprint will be relatively small. And for, for uh, something like uh, disaster monitoring, you would go with a different technique, which your sensor has to be above high in the sky, which satellite image. Satellite images, we have now satellite imagery, they have less than two feet uh, ground resolution, which is uh, fantastic for, uh, for uh, disaster monitoring. And they rev have a revisit time, so they come above the same point on the ground every less than one day. So basically, you get a large uh, image that covers large area on the ground every day, which it helps you to quickly monitor. There are some interesting applications for the drone for bridge inspection. So if you have those uh, bridges over the ocean, you know, those cable state bridges or suspension bridges, it's, it's very difficult to do the inspection with human, right? Think about it, the pylon itself of the, of the bridge is like maybe 150 meter high. So sending a drone was, would be your best bet. As with most jobs, hiring a professional or having professionally trained people on staff is vital. When it comes to drone for fun, it's for fun. But when it comes to drone for commercial purpose, uh, you need to hire the right person that he knows what he's doing. I've seen some, uh, you know, whether uh, students that have not, not enough experience to do the project, but you have to know what you are doing. Specifically, uh, you know, now the drone companies and you have lots of software that will make the flight itself Autonomous. So all you have to do is uh, say, okay, uh, I need to have overlap and side lab and uh, flying height. But really, uh, you need to know at which height that you need to fly. Is it 30 meter? Is it 90 meter? It depends on what kind of ground resolution that you're looking at. That's one thing. The other thing is um, if you are using a drone that is not equipped with RTK, and RTK is short for real time kinematic GBS, you would need some ground control points. The ground control points, you must set them on the ground before you fly your drone because they must be visible within the images so then you can be kept. And uh, those ground control points, you must do some survey. And typically those survey will be done using RTK. But those are just few points to establish the datum or the georeference for your images. Uh, so basically, a minimum of three uh, ground control points. Uh, you have to use some photogrammetric targets, which have some contrast, like uh, black and white crosses or circles, so you can identify those points on the ground. Those are called fabricated targets. And on the opposite side, you may maybe get rid of those and use natural targets like road edges or manholes, which is not the best case. So if you're looking at the best results, you would need to fix some targets on site before you fly. The software, right now the software, it was in the past, it was very difficult to do the photogrammetry and it needs a lot of human interaction where the operator has to go and pick and trace points throughout the whole uh, series of images with artificial intelligence and with computer vision and uh, image processing, all these disciplines, they came together, and right now, the process, it's really, really 
way faster than it was maybe 15 years ago or 20 years ago. So the software right now, it has some operators that can look at the image without any human intervention and simply pick all good candidate points, feature points. Those are at the break lines. And then the software will do the matching automatically between the image. So all you have to do really is few measurements from the human to pick the control points and input the, con the coordinates of the control point. And then here you go, you have a 3D model, very, very high density model for your uh, object. Thank you to Dr. Taher Hassan for joining us on the podcast.